0: Hi, and welcome to Match Cut, the movie podcast where we take two movies with the exact same rating on IMDb and break that tie. My name is Aaron. I'm here with my friend and co-host, Matt.
1: Hello, all.
0: Hi. So, we've had a bit of a break since our last episode. Welcome to Season 2, everyone. Some time to spend off with family or with movies, so we figured we'd talk a little bit about them. Uh, the movies, not our families. But before we get to that, if you've got a movie that you think we need to check out, or maybe idea for a future episode uh, you can reach us at matchcutpod at gmail.com or on twitter at matchcut uh, so what did you uh, what did you check out in the uh, interim?
1: I mean obviously watching a whole bunch of terrible movies on like riff tracks and, uh, and just Netflix in general because mm-hmm. man there are some stinkers there <laughs> but um, the big ones I've seen I actually saw Star Wars opening night
0: fun and i think you said you just saw it again recently right
1: yeah i saw it yesterday with uh my brother um because he hadn't seen it yet so it was a chance for him to see it um
0: (laughs) and you uh you agreed to put it willingly put another human through that did you (laughs) uh i don't think it was a bad movie i'm just being dramatic i don't i don't think it's that bad i don't think it was great either but it is one of those things like looking at it, like, you know, there's
1: very few showings of it, you know, comparatively speaking, like it's only it's been less than a month or just over a month now. And there's only one or two showings at uh, the movie theaters around here per day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's clearly not making as much money as even The Last Je- uh, the last Jedi, the previous film was. Yeah. Um, it's had the biggest fall off. And it has been the the source of multiple review bombs, which is, you know, not the movie's inherently own fault. It's like, anymore, you're making one of these big movies, like you have to navigate the minefields of the internet and public opinion far before the movie even comes out.
0: Yeah. And really like doubly so for Star Wars. Yeah.
1: People think that because they are fans of it, that they have some ownership and, of it and the ability to dictate what the rights holders do with it
0: yeah it's nice when companies are more responsive to the needs of their fans like ultimately like you would hope that they're making a movie for the fans and they're making art that people want to see as opposed to just maybe like all right it's you know our time is up we got to make another star wars movie here's
1: Well, I don't think that was where Disney and Lucas Productions was coming, Lucasfilm was coming from with this. I think, you know, when a lot of the fans are crying that, oh, there's an ugly, fat Asian woman in my Star Wars, get her the fuck out of here. Like, that shouldn't be something to uh, look at and be like, yeah, we should listen to them 100%. But they did, you know. Like,
0: yeah. I mean, I'm not. You know,
1: when, when the problems are uh, women in my Star Wars, get them out of here. They should be damsels that are mildly competent and nothing more. Or there shouldn't be people of color in my Star Wars. You know, why is there a black person in center screen?
0: Yeah, I'm not sure that that was most people's objection to. Um, I don't remember. I'm talking, the...
1: I'm talking online. I think in the online world where the kind of people that would review bomb and set up bots to do it are definitely that kind of person.
0: Some of them. Yeah. I mean the, the objection that I heard the more maybe rational objection was that this character was kind of shoehorned in to like do this weird, like captured animal subplot on the Monte Carlo planet that like didn't mean anything to the story. Because I also think that Star Wars does have...
1: Hold up. You're isolating it to just one character. I'm talking about throughout the Star Wars, the sequel trilogy, people have been decrying every single choice in the main cast. People have said, oh, uh, derisively that, you know, Daisy Ridley as, you know, Ray. she's just a Mary Sue and doesn't have any character. How is that any different than Luke Skywalker? Mm -hmm. Is it because you can't project yourself into Luke Skywalker? And... The problem is there are legitimate criticisms of the Last Jedi. However, people put so much vitriol, so much bigotry, so much sexism into a lot of it, especially online. That that's what the feedback Disney is getting, mm-hmm. and that's what they're seeing. Is you know because the 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 most marginal uh, and most extreme voices are often the loudest, and the internet gives them a the largest megaphones. That those are what you're hearing. And so you get a lot of dumb, ignorant takes on Star Wars that don't have valuable criticism of like what was the, the purpose of like what you were saying before I, I, I did rudely interrupt you, that you know the whole canto bite storyline, like what is the point of that? Mm-hmm. I think if you were to look at it in comparison to the original trilogy. Canto Byte serves a similar space in the story as Cloud City. However, it doesn't become as pertinent to the story as Cloud City does.
0: Yeah. And I mean, as far as those, like, you know, the people who will blindly say, like, you know, I don't want minorities in my Star Wars, like those aren't people to be <laughs> listened to in any circumstance. I think there there was some, like you said, some legitimate criticism about, you know, characters in the movie who happened to be portrayed by minority actors. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I, I went into the movie very much just like I intentionally spoiled myself ahead of time. Cause I figured I wasn't going to see it. And then I ended up going with a friend of mine. Um, and you know, I, I went in with low expectations and wasn't disappointed. Like I, I enjoyed my time with star Wars.
1: Yeah, I still enjoyed it, watching it a second time. Um, Some problems that I had actually remedied themselves in terms of when I first saw it, the pacing felt really rushed, especially in the beginning. It -hmm. didn't feel like it was letting itself breathe enough. Um, So... There were there were those issues had actually remedied in the second watch. Um I think the biggest criticism that I can say for the sequel trilogy, and it is the same criticism, but from a different point of view that I can level at the prequel trilogy, is I have no interest in watching them again, really. Yeah. It's not like with the original trilogy where I'd be happy to put those on if I owned them. Mm-hmm. Or if they were on TV, I'd be like, oh, that's a movie I want to watch. Yeah. But um with these, it'd be like Uh, I guess nothing is else on. I'll watch The Force Awakens again. And I think The Force Awakens probably holds up the strongest of all three. Um, You know, there's other things we could talk about, you know, go into and just make an entire podcast on the the (laughs) handling.
0: We could. (laughs) We could.
1: (laughs) Uh, Spoiler, we're actually switching the, uh, we're just going to talk about Star Wars for another two hours. Yeah,
0: forget these driving movies. We got (laughs) nerd stuff to discuss.
1: Speaking of driving, I think I, I had seen Ford vs. Ferrari since the last podcast.
0: Yeah i I can't remember if we
1: well we didn't we didn't mention it.
0: Yeah, so. I I tried to put something I think at the end of a podcast, but I can't remember if we lost that or it actually went out. But
1: yeah, so I, I really enjoyed Ford vs. Ferrari is as a uh, as a historical movie and as a biopic and as just an enjoyable movie. Did you end up seeing it?
0: Yeah, I ended up seeing it with my uh, my mom and my stepdad. Uh, I think every, everyone there enjoyed it. I, you know, I thought it was fun. Um, it's a little Oscar-baity, I think. Like, I think there were more... Well,
1: it, in- it is nominated for Best Picture, so I guess it won. <laughs> I guess it, 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 yeah. it won in the sense that it accomplished that goal.
0: And if, you know, if that's what got the movie made and, you know, brought some of pe- people's attention to American uh racing history like hey great um i think there's there's other fun stuff to get into in in that story that Uh, maybe got skipped over would be better served in a documentary here
1: well that was the problem with that story is it had been actually in development hell for like 10 years hmm. like and originally uh not christian bale he was in it um matthew mcconaughey was attached as well as another name like they were attached for a long time before that director just couldn't figure it out how to work because that story is so big and encompasses so many efforts and so much It's like how do we fit it all in one two and two hour movie right so it took james mangold to uh really pare down a lot of stuff and you know people did decry that like oh these these uh this story part is gone it's like yeah well you can't have that that <laughs> sidetrack of all the engineers and in, in england coming up with the car in this movie you, you focus on you know kind of the main personalities yeah
0: um let's see some other ones i saw uncut gems over the break and you and you feel it was robbed i am shocked that it didn't get an oscar nomination like
1: well well, when did it get uh, when did it get released? Uh, f- you know, for two or more weeks would probably. I could imagine that it was one of those things that it might not have been released before the cutoff for Oscar consideration.
0: I don't remember exactly, but I saw an article about Adam Sandler who had ex- like expected it to get an Oscar nomination, or had had threatened that if it doesn't, he's going to just make the shittiest movie ever as revenge <laughs> <laughs> but i guess uh i i think it was yeah it was eligible for an oscar but ended up not getting nominated this esquire article also points out that us hustlers knives out midsummer book smart waves like also didn't get yeah nominated so I think
1: it's that's probably continuing with trend as we're going into the Oscar season of people really not caring anymore for it because it's it's movies you expect and not necessarily the best movies, mm-hmm. because, you know, look at the best picture category right now. You got something that people didn't expect, which is Parasite, a uh, South Korean film, the only foreign film ever to be uh, nominated for at for mm-hmm. a, an Oscar in a main category. Uh, specifically, Best Picture, but then you have Ford vs Ferrari, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 1917.
0: Uh, um, what else? I have them up: uh, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story. Um, rounds out the rest of them. So it's like or uh, Uncut Gems isn't even like a Netflix thing because obviously, like two Netflix movies are up there. Yeah, as so. well.
1: Which there's, you know, then the controversy with a lot of, you know, story directors saying, having really stupid, dumb takes on them.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm Steven Spielberg, who's always put technology in my own movies and, you know, has decried when they get shafted. But the second a new media comes up and is trying to usurp it, I try to, you know, put my foot down and say they shouldn't be considered. To which my friend Martin Scorsese says, screw you, I'm gonna make a three hour movie on Netflix.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah um i think we both watched that video uh talk um the bfx artist react talking a little bit about the tech that went into the irishman that was mm-hmm. like i hadn't looked at any of that that stuff going in so i didn't even know but like it's pretty incredible
1: yeah it it is really interesting though that scorsese was very much um also shout out to quarter crew and quarter digital for doing that series um, yeah
0: i'll link it in the uh description
1: um that he is you know old school but he understands that, you know, technology and time changes and marches on. And he wanted to tell this story, but it's like, you know, I got actors who are too old to, you know, play these convincingly with just, you know, hair and makeup. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm not going to do full mocap bodysuits with, you know, dots for tracking on their faces. So we're going right. to have, you know, three cameras, two IR cameras so that we can just, you know, pro- project it that way and yeah. just, you know, make blends with machine learning and and deep fakes. It's
0: very cool. But uh, before we get too far from uncut gems, really intense, really fantastic um I won't give away the ending, but like it is it is the most I've ever cared about a basketball game in my life? <laughs> <laughs> um and, you know, for that not to it does like it doesn't even necessarily have to be like best picture but like adam sandler at least for like actor in a leading role like anything it deserves something
1: yeah i think that you know you look you look at what you just listed off for the best picture category Mm -hmm. it's so bloated anymore and all those films are so vastly different i really think there should be best drama motion picture best you know there should be more best motion pictures maybe two or three more
0: yeah yeah especially cuz they break out stuff like documentary feature, documentary short subject or like you know animated film like you maybe... know with this,
1: with so many films being put out now and the quality of films overall being greater than they have been ever in the past it is hard to say definitively one film is better than the other yeah you know, like that is the best film, and then you get into stuff like you know the nineties with the Weinstein campaigning and all that, and how that changed the landscape of how you, you know, petition for your film to be a best picture. Like it's just so old and set in its ways that it doesn't reflect what what is you know best, what they want to put forward as you know this is what we should make more of.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like, and that's something that that you and I talk about, you know, in, in researching movies for this podcast, because like, if we were to take, you know, just two movies that shared the same rating, like for example, Ford versus Ferrari shares the same rating as Monty Python and the Holy Grail, <laughs> you know,
1: entirely different films. They're both yeah. good. What is better than that? They're entirely different genres. That's why, you know, in, in this podcast, like, early on the idea was just two films with the same IMDB score it's like i don't know man like make them similar enough so that it's like the it's apples to apples not apples to meat pies
0: right and especially in IMDB ratings like comedies or horror movies tend to get um like overrated or underrated yeah. in in comparison to other movies so it's like tough. Could, you
1: ima- could you imagine if there was a um a a best, you know, horror film or best uh, thriller or something like that when Get Out was uh, in theaters. And I believe it did get nominated for something, right? Or did it not and get completely left behind?
0: I mean, it definitely got nominated for something. Um, Let's see. Oh, it got an Academy Award nomination for Best Picture.
1: So, but is it the best oh, sorry it,
0: and it won for best original screenplay
1: so but fair it, it it deserves those but is it the best picture of that year it's hard to say judging by whatever its competition is it's so it, it's too different i still think there should be a best picture category obviously yeah. but it should be like you know out of all the films made this year this one will stand the test of time and be a great film. Yeah. There have been Academy Award winners in in certain years that you don't even know it's a film anymore because <laughs> of how unimpactful it was. The English Patient.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, the, oh, the competition here, in twenty eighteen was Shape of Water, Call Me by Your Name, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, and Three Billboards Outside Epping, Missouri.
1: Didn't uh, what won? Wasn't it Shape, Shape of Water. Water. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm.
1: like, and I saw that film, and I, I, that was a very much a dramatic year where it was like just drama films that were in. But you know, that is kind of like a victory for Guillermo del Toro and his production with that winning because that's vaguely a horror setup.
0: Yeah, and I mean personally, I hope that the Oscars are kind of on their way out because I don't think they have a ton of relevance in. Like an era where movies are made for increasingly more specific audiences because you can, like we've talked about before, like if you're making a movie for Netflix, you can target a small subset. Yeah. That will be like,
1: I want to see this movie.
0: Mm hmm.
1: So um, another film I've seen going back almost uh, uh, ironically back onto the you know best picture nominees is 1917. Mm hmm. Uh, that movie is amazing, and it is favored to win this year. Uh, I think it should win because having seen an actual fair swath uh, <laughs> of the, the the best picture nominations, it was just like these are movies I wanted to see anyway, and they just get nominated for best picture. It's like okay, right? Um, that I think of them all, it deserves to win. It's telling an emotion like the emotional journey of World War One. It's not being like a historical like epic or anything like that. Like, you know, previous efforts had been, um, it shot beautifully. The, the intent to make it look like it was a single take. I never felt bored. Like there's, yeah. there's enough like ups and downs and ebbs and flows and the, the pacing of it all that it's like, I never was super conscious of it. Like, Oh, it's still one cut, you know, it still, still hasn't cut quote unquote. And I mean, it, it was a bit of a thing with, uh, Kurt and myself that like when we could tell like there's a cut it's like mm-hmm. oh they passed in front of a, like the camera went in front of a rock it's like obviously they're cutting there
0: right coming up over horizons to kind of those easy edit points
1: yeah but like you could tell they were trying to do as little of that as possible and it was just for their own sanity that they were making these points be like okay this is the block of film we're making now
0: yeah um yeah, I, I didn't see it. It's it's on my list of things to check out. Like when, you know, it makes it to home video. Um,
1: I would I would watch it in the theaters.
0: Yeah. All right. Yes. Maybe I'll, I'll have to make time for that. Um, yeah, good to see Adam Driver out there getting Oscar nominations for Marriage Story, a movie I will probably not check out as a child of divorce, but I hear it's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, Maybe I'll suck it up and do it anyway. But um, yeah, I've, I've actually seen uh three of these movies. I, I saw Ford vs. Ferrari, The Irishman, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, if you want to hear our thoughts on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, check out the bonus episode. But yeah. I think that's the most Oscar movies I've ever seen in a season.
1: Yeah, and it's... Does <laughs> that mean we're getting old?
0: Oh, God. Well, I'm going to be 40 within this decade.
1: Don't don't say things like that. <laughs> when do a, when does adulthood start?
0: Uh it's you'll know deep inside. Ah. Uh, and on that existential
1: dread, <laughs> we'll be back after the break to talk about some movies.
0: Yeah. Come on back now. welcome back uh this episode's three-way matchup is about young upstarts breaking into the racing scene upsetting the status quo and learning a few hard lessons along the way so sit down buckle up and just downshift if you need a little extra speed it's time for the fast and furious tokyo drift versus days of thunder versus speed racer uh so how did you experience these movies before the podcast
1: uh, all in the comfort of my own home seeking them out or finding them on TV. Yeah. I, I didn't go out to the theater for any of these. I had no interest. In, uh, A, Days of Thunder, I think I was like four? Two? Right. So, uh, yeah, you know, we missed the boat. on 1990,
0: I would have been one. Oh,
1: 90? I don't... Uh, when did it come out in 1990?
0: <laughs> Pro- I would imagine probably in the summer of 1990. Well, let's, let's, let's look it up. <laughs> uh... 27th of june 1990
1: i wasn't even born yet
0: (laughs) i would have been a year and a half right yes so if you're
1: older than us you're welcome (laughs) we just made you feel old if you're younger than us you're welcome we just made you feel young
0: amazing how time works like that yeah um i saw i saw tokyo drift in theaters um, and I saw Speed Racer in theaters. Um, I actually saw Speed Racer in IMAX. Um, and it was kind of cool. They had like a promotional thing down at like the local outdoor mall where they had like a, uh, um,
1: <laughs> I know exactly the outdoor mall you're talking about. <laughs> yeah.
0: I don't, I don't want to like drop a pin on a map here necessarily, but outdoor mall will do. Um, they had the car there, the Mach five. Um, like the hero car version, um, mm. and the voice of Speed Racer, who also appears in the movie as one of the commentators. So I met him, chatted with him. It was pretty cool. I went with my mom. Um, I talked she to her. Before- yeah. Uh, well, 2008, I was, I was one year out of high school. So I could have driven myself, but we went and saw it together. Um, I talked to her a little bit before recording this movie and she, the memory started coming back, but yeah, we saw it in IMAX and for as intense and colorful and as that movie is it's, it's two times that in IMAX. It was really cool. Um, days of thunder. I saw as a kid, probably introduced to it a little too young for, uh, some of the scenes involving highway patrol women, and um, heavy air quotes. <laughs> yeah. But I the, actually my most numerous experience with Days of Thunder was the Days of Thunder, like 4D experience at Paramount's Great America. Where. That's a thing? Yeah, you could sit in like motion seats and stuff and watch like clips from Days of Thunder on a giant screen while your chair like wobbles around. I probably I went on think- that thing like 10 times. <laughs>
1: why wouldn't they just make a full ride that has like, you know, new racing see- uh, uh.
0: <laughs> They did have a top gun ride there as well. Speaking yeah, of it's Tom just Cruise. A roller
1: coaster that they renamed though. Yeah. It's also no longer Paramount's great America.
0: Yeah, it was, it was the last time I lived in Northern California. So, um, so, yeah. So besides being linked by their IMDb score, uh, these movies are also separated by four degrees of separation. Uh, Lucas black, the lead in Tokyo drift was in jarhead with Peter Sarsgaard who until I wrote these notes thought was Sarsgaard, but I guess I'm wrong.
1: So he's not related to Alexander Sarsgaard.
0: That's, that would be the source of my confusion, but apparently not. Uh, Peter Sarsgaard was in Night and Day with Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise was in Interview with a Vampire with Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with Emil Hirsch.
1: There you go. Just a nice, big, happy Kevin Bacon family.
0: <laughs> exactly. Uh, so all three of these movies are rated a subpar 6.0 on IMDb, but one of them must be better than the others. Let's find out, starting with The Fast and Furious, Tokyo Drift.
1: Q... Dun 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 dun, 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 dun,
0: I wonder if you know. Anyway. Uh, Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift is a 2006 movie written by Chris Morgan and directed by Justin Lin, starring Lucas Black, Shad Bow Wow Moss, Natalie Kelly, and Brian T. Writer Chris Morgan is best known for writing this Fast and Furious movie, and all the ones that came after, save for the ninth one, but before this, he had only written Cellular. Um, director Justin Lin is best known for this Fast and Furious movie, as well as the three Fast and Furious movies after this. The upcoming Fast and Furious 9 and is rumored to direct the Fast and Furious 10. Um, outside of the Fast and Furious universe, he did Star Trek Beyond, a smattering of various TV show episodes, and one failed YouTube channel. Which oh, is... so that
1: channel failed?
0: Yes, oh, okay. It, it never, it never lived up to the hype of "So It Begins: Banana Apocalypse." Their channel <laughs> trailer.
1: Well, maybe spending all that money to get all those actors there was a bad idea.
0: Yeah, um, it's kind of a fun thing to check out if you want. I'll link the video in the description as well. It was this YouTube channel for like Asian American actors called a uh, Yom yam f which stands for you offend me you offend my family that tracks yeah back in the world of tokyo drift uh sean boswell is a high school student obsessed with cars and racing when he causes untold amounts of property damage during a street race against the football captain local law enforcement has run out of patience however he's given one last out moved to japan with his father Sean is told to stay away from cars and racing, so he immediately finds the local car racing scene. But the new scene ain't like the scene back home, and Sean stumbles his way on the wrong side of the Yakuza. Now Sean must solve his problems the only way he knows how. Cars and racing.
1: You know, it's never worked out for him before, but (laughs) maybe this time it will.
0: There's a big theme in all three of these movies where it's like, racing is what I know, and racing is how I'm going to change the world.
1: Or at least their world. Right. <laughs> In two of the cases.
0: Yeah. So Tokyo Drift. I Maybe mm, I'll say second best Fast and Furious movie after Fast Five.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm going to go with that. Uh, for the longest time, a lot of people hated it because it didn't have Dom and, you know, except for one scene and didn't have Brian mm-hmm. and all that. But like, honestly the movie has something to say it's got like a theme it's like it's about being an outsider and making your own family which yeah. is what they turn the theme of fashion furious into
0: <laughs> yeah it's a theme that works really well is you know family whether the one you're born into or the one you make around you like that's what's important
1: but it also has like the the benefit of being kind of a outsider in japan story like how do you find your way in a culture that is so alien to you Mm -hmm. like i think they did that very well like you know it's not like a it's not lost in translation or shogun Mm
0: -hmm. but
1: it works
0: (laughs) yeah i like that they don't subtitle a lot of the japanese like when it would be largely immaterial to the plot and you know sean lucas black's character is is not understanding what's being said they just don't subtitle it and you're you know if you don't know japanese you're right there with them
1: yeah i think sean is like one of the only ones that doesn't fit all that well as lucas black as an actor like he is got that that 90210 like i'm older playing a younger guy i mean it's not the most egregious one because like i could buy him as like you know maybe he got held back a year because of all his (laughs) moving
0: yeah the whole the whole time I'm just thinking of that that quote from a uh, Twenty One Jump Street.
1: <laughs> you got the muscle definition of a thirty five year old.
0: <laughs> That's the one. Yeah, it's it, the only time it really bothered me was like trying to determine like how old Han and um, DK are in relation to these people.
1: Yeah, like because Han is constantly making remarks like oh you know st- stop going for the high school kids all mm-hmm. that and like but then dk grew up with neela so it's like there can't be too big of an age difference
0: right yeah i'm not sure i, I meant to look up how old the actors are to kind of like get a get a feel for where they might be playing to but none of it's none of it's great
1: Yeah, I mean, but it's also, it doesn't ever take me out. Like, I think Mm. overall the story, like, moves fast-paced enough. It's like, you're not really thrown out of him being necessarily in high school still. Um, Mm. To my knowledge, there's some things that they do to make the high school seem more Western or similar. Um, Like, uh, moving through class, moving through hallways for classes, which is actually not a thing in most Japanese schools, to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, the teachers are the ones that move. So the classes stay together. And yeah. so it's one of those things like you're in that class with those people for all four years of high school.
0: Yeah. I've also heard that it, it works the same way. Um,
1: and then lunch and some of them is done in most of them, a lunch is supposed to be brought. And if it's not, there's a lunch cart that comes from room, goes to room to room.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I like how they set up a lot of the characters in the movie. Um, it's not the most, like, subtle thing, but they're not beating you over the head with it. Like, take Sean's dad, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, ex-military, probably, you no, know. No,
1: current. Major right. Boswell is what he's credited as, but he's in the Navy, so he would not be a major. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, so... You know they they set him up, and it's never like expressly said. But you know he walks around wearing a navy shirt. Eventually, you know he comes home in his uniform. He says, you know, lights out in ten, or like your trains at oh seven hundred. You know, so it's kind of it's kind of nice, like character building. It's
1: like clearly, you know, him and uh, you know Major Boswell and Mrs. Boswell uh, didn't stay together, maybe because he had just gotten out of basic and got her pregnant, and so. You know, it's like, well, uh, the, the military and like, he was moving around all the, all a lot. And she <laughs> yeah. didn't like that.
0: It goes, it goes back to that thing. I tend to kind of harp on where it's like, Hey, trust your audience. Like, you know, give yeah. us a little credit. I think um,
1: this movie definitely shows that Justin Lin does trust his audience to a degree with the way he shoots his films. Like, you know, you look at his, some of his other work, because specifically I'm thinking star Trek beyond, which he was involved in the writing of with, um, Simon Pegg, who really cared about making a Star Trek movie, that you know it not everything is a hundred percent spelled out for you. And if you're paying attention, you can figure out some of the twists in that movie before they happen.
0: Yeah. And also, what also really helps this movie is it rewards repeat viewings, where mm-hmm. you know, we've we've both watched it several times now. <laughs> mm-hmm and uh you know there's there's something new for you there um the other thing i like in the character setups is like how he sets up sean where um sean is the kind of kid who like chooses not to get involved in the bullying at his school in the best stocked auto shop classroom in the world yeah (laughs) um you know he when he gets out to fight um zachary home improvement brian (laughs) you know he's he's bringing a wrench to a fist fight you know it's it's these little things that kind of sets up like okay who is this character and what are his goals you know especially at the beginning of the movie versus the end of it
1: that whole opening credit sequence like showing him in his day-to-day like you can tell he's an outsider and doesn't care Mm he doesn't care about any of this like it doesn't matter to him he's not going to get involved because he gets involved and you know shit happens yeah um and the way they show that he's changed and grown is when he's in Japan, he's been there for enough time that, oh, one of the other friend group that he's been hanging out with goes to him to help solve a problem when uh Twinkie is in trouble. Yeah. And he does. And it's like, well, I stuck my neck out and this is the thanks I get.
0: <laughs> right. Um. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of show don't tell, stuff um i think the the one question i always have like coming out of this movie is uh specifically related to han um you know he talks about like you know why why do you race like you know it's why'd you give me the car i need to know who i can trust something 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 and then
1: Uh, it's basically i need to know the character of a man right and a car is a cheap you know, a cheap thing in comparative to know like the quality of someone's character. Yeah. Like I I, I think most people really like Sung Kang as Han. Um mm-hmm. that's why he kept coming back despite the fact that his character's supposed to be dead. Right. <laughs> it creates the convoluted timeline of the, the Fast and the Furious films somewhat. Right. Uh, he better come back in Fast Nine <laughs> and they better be stealing like the Hubble telescope this time or something.
0: Right, because that's they've
1: stopped like a nuclear apocalypse,
0: <laughs> like <laughs> that, is, that is where these movies ended up going. But this one's very grounded, which is nice.
1: It is probably the most grounded, you know. The first one is it's just uh point break with cars, mm-hmm. and so it's it's that's going. Um, it doesn't hold up, it's it's kind of kitschy. Like, I would say, of all of these, all of the Fast and the Furious films, uh, that. The Tokyo Drift, you can watch in isolation, and it's a decent film.
0: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, my, my one question with Han, going back to that real quick, is is Sean kind of asks him, like, oh, you know, why do you race? Or, like, why do you drift? And he answers that question by drifting around two women parked at a stoplight, which is kind of, like, the answer you get from that. Um, also, fun fact, the woman in the passenger seat in that uh, car is a... Is Verena May, who is a champion rallyship rally driver and Formula Drift competitor,
1: yeah, and the other person in the driver's seat—that's like I think it's actually their
0: car—and
1: mm. she's she's like a pop star and was a drip and did drift at the time, and it was like her car.
0: Yeah, the only thing I found for her was that she used to model, but yeah, it could very well be her car. Um, so I don't I don't know what to take from that. That's the that's the one that I t- wish it was a little more tell. <laughs> Well, show, maybe but... they
1: filled it in with the, you know, the, the expanded Fast and Furious cinematic universe <laughs> in that he's looking for the connection that he lost when Gal Gadot jumped out of that plane to save his life with guns akimbo <laughs> backwards. That could be. <laughs> <laughs> you go from this grounded ass movie where one person pulling out a gun is like, oh shit, it's real, to mm-hmm. the next person five movies where they're shooting rocket launchers. The rock takes out a helicopter with a revolver uh, <laughs> they, they, they jump a car between buildings. yeah And in this a car getting t-boned at an intersection and flipped over causes a character to realistically die.
0: Yeah no one's no one's dragging a safe behind them as they drift through you know, Tokyo's crisscross, uh, (laughs) crosswalks.
1: Yeah. Like it's unbelievable that he pulled off that drift through that intersection in Tokyo, Mm -hmm. but it's not improbable.
0: Yeah. People just happen to part in a perfect, like 90 degree. Look, a lot
1: of other cultures that aren't America are very orderly people. And so like, there's that famous picture from like riots in London or somewhere and people are queuing to go into a store to loot. (laughs)
0: you're saying that japanese people just like all right we know what to do here car through the street seen it 10 times already
1: yeah that's probably like (laughs) a normal thursday for them in (laughs) japan like all those drifters again on on the on the going through the roads
0: not a drill we're making the left hand turn um
1: this movie is constantly showing that it like did its research as well. Like the cars that they use are real cars that were shown at like Tokyo auto salons. Uh, Hans RX seven was famously like that year's veil slide RX seven mm-hmm. that they had just released. And they just, they straight up bought it for the movie. Yeah. Um, to, to have that car, uh, there there's references to things like initial D with, when are you going to put up that 87 Corolla? Mm hmm. Which is a famous car, the Panda Trueno Corolla. Yeah. Um, which you see one actually later in the movie.
0: Yeah. Against the what is it like 76 Skyline or 78 Skyline, I think. Yeah. Um Yeah, it's it's nice and grounded and it it's it has a little like flair of expertise where it needs to. And, you know, it it drops the occasional like techno babble mumbo jumbo that, you know, maybe doesn't mean anything
1: but there's no warning danger to intake manifold.
0: Shut up. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah.
1: And then just a nonsense talk. Like, uh, when the closest you can get to that, I think is what you were getting at, is when, like, Sean asked to Twinkie, like, what's a a 30-second intro to Drift? Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, there's a lot of ways you can do it, but the easiest way is to to rip on that hand rake and then pow-on it. Which I think what he's trying to say is, pull the e-brake and then power on because yeah. drifting is inducing oversteer by throwing the back end out. So it's like power sliding, but through the turn.
0: Yeah. Think of, think of oversteer as your car steering more than you would intend it to otherwise. So yeah, the back gets away from you. So,
1: and the easiest way to do that is with a car set up to do it, rip on the e-brake.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they got they got their, their, uh, their they're smoothing over parts that they should and with enough like stuff on the side that rewards a viewer who's more tuned into car culture than average, which I think is, is a lot of the Fast and Furious audience.
1: Yeah, most and I think that's why this probably has a lower score than a lot of other ones, is because it's like more car related than just dumb story plot related. Like mm-hmm. This one is putting in the effort to include a whole bunch of people from drifting culture. There's the scene where Sean is learning how to drift at the docks and the two guys fishing. One of them is the actual real drift king. Yeah. And the other guy is another famous street drifter, I believe. Uh, The guy that opens up the the parking garage uh, is the parking garage attendant. He was another drift guy in that scene. Um, yeah, going back the 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 actress in the the side seat was a WRC rally and and drifter herself. It's like they're putting in people that are part of the culture, not because it's like, oh, we're gonna put like here's a camera zoom in on this character, uh, you know, like Iggy Azalea in that one <laughs> scene. Um, it's just like no, if you know who these are, they're there.
0: Yeah, if you know, you know.
1: Um, another thing like that is the show, the the drift footage that Han and his uh, hangers on, the, the models and whatnot are watching when Sean goes to live with him is actually like a very famous like midnight drifting, street drifting video, <laughs> like Speed Hunters.
0: Yeah. Lots of good stuff. I think like the end, the ending is kind of like silly. I mean, in the in the premise and setup of like, I know you want us to both get out of town. We're going to settle this, you know, in a drift off. <laughs>
1: but like, but, even he kind of thinks that's stupid. Like he yeah. laughs at the idea. It's like, of course,
0: God bless Sonny Chiba for being in this movie.
1: I mean, he is great.
0: Yeah. But yeah, lots of the, Oh, I mean, the other thing we should talk about is that they actually made that Mustang, you know, yeah, the, dropped the, that the, engine and it converted the gears or the, uh, drivetrain and,
1: you can tell that the 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 I feel that this one more than a lot of other ones that they the car wrangler was allowed to make cars that made sense mm-hmm. other than that. But he's <laughs> like, I mean, it's weird, but OK, but I want to show that we actually made this car do this thing.
0: Yeah, it, the the objective is not, hey, we need a car that looks like it could drag a safe through you know, Brazil or wherever. Well, the were. biggest
1: the the biggest thing is the first two films. They they had like an artist just design art cars, basically, and mm. then told them to make them, even if they didn't make sense. You famously get in the original Fast and Furious a Jetta that has brake calipers that are attached to the wheels <laughs> that have no caliper, or that have no um yeah caliper, just
0: brake rotors weird yeah i I don't i know the jetta you're talking about but i don't remember that specifically but yeah and then in this car you know or in this movie the you know request for the cars is like hey we need a car that'll drift, and it's got to look like a drift car and it's like okay cool or they just
1: they just went to (laughs) they went to veil slide and greddy and just said like what are the cars and what are the kits you have right now and they just bought those cars Mm-hmm. You know, like, they didn't make a Vail... They didn't make an RX-7 that looked weird and dope. It's like, right, Vailside true. had already did it for them.
0: Yeah. Um You know, good good practical effects, so, you know, you have to have hero cars that... Yeah. ...can do this uh, stuff.
1: There is uh, a bit of the old way they were making these films at the time, though. Um When they first started making Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, as, like, the actual name of the movie, um they they didn't check to see if any of their stunt drivers knew how to drift. <laughs> yeah. And so like they go, they get to like principal photography and they're doing like, you know, car shots and like the drivers can't drift.
0: Mm-hmm. So they
1: call in a uh, Tanner Faust and a few other names to be uh, ringers for them and to give classes to the the actors to be like, to look make it look like, you know what you're doing.
0: Yeah. The only I only have one nitpick with this movie. It's a small one. But um, when Sean and his dad mix up the dates that Sean's supposed to show up, he's like, oh, we're ahead of you in Japan. Like Sean was supposed to come on the 7th or whatever it was. And like, if if they're a day ahead, then Sean's dad would have already gone to the train station of the airport. Realize that Sean never showed up and so his plan is to like go back home and hire a sex worker, like
1: uh um, maybe it's a date. Uh <laughs> we're we're being a little harsh for his dad. Sure. His dad's an attractive guy.
0: He kind of got her out of there in a hurry. I get that maybe meeting your kid is not, you know anyway, unimportant, but the the timelines just never <laughs> worked out for me in that uh that scene
1: so yeah i think um you know i i do like the flow of this movie it flows very progressively it's it's honestly an easy to watch movie because it's like it never spends one time doing one thing too much everything is in good moderation you know uh it does a decent amount of sense of time progressing like Well, he goes, you know, first day at school, like he, he, Wabaki, okay, Uh, Mm -hmm. what does that mean? And then when he goes into the Yakuza, you know, hangout, which he should not be going to, (laughs) um, he speaks a convincing enough Japanese, it's like clearly months have passed. He's, he's been hanging out and learning and, you know, living and setting down roots. And so when the time comes and his dad's like, we're getting you out of here. He's like, no, I got to fix this mess because... I don't want to leave here, it, it, which he doesn't say out loud. Yeah. Like, I like it here, actually. <laughs> it's only we, after we've lost everything that we're free to do anything. <laughs> I think that's the message of this movie.
0: Yeah. Sean has a nice, a nice arc and, you know, and more so than and...
1: any of any of the other, sorry to interrupt you no um, more so than any of the other fast and furious films. This character has an arc and it's not like destructive. He's left in a better place objectively <laughs> than where he starts off.
0: Yeah. He is the dances with wolves, white drift King.
1: <laughs> Which is entirely possible. Uh, the actual drift King called Von Gitten Jr. The American equivalent of himself.
0: <laughs> um, anything else uh, with Tokyo Drift?
1: No, I think we've uh, set our piece on this.
0: <clears throat> <laughs> oh, one more thing we should not leave out is the fantastic match cut in this movie. That is the
1: head, head against white wall to head on a pillow in a plane.
0: Mm-hmm. From the yeah, from the police station to the flight. Fantastic. Yeah, this movie has wow. like
1: effective effective use of montage as well. hmm. Like it doesn't feel like maybe other uses of montage.
0: well we'll have plenty of time to get to those um those are our thoughts on tokyo drift come back after this short break and we will talk about days of thunder see you then welcome back our next movie is days of thunder
1: Days of Thunder is a 1990 movie written by Robert Towne and Tom Cruise and directed by Tony Scott, starring Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman, and Robert Duvall. Robert Towne is best known for Chinatown, Tequila Sunrise, Mission Impossible 1 and 2. Tom Cruise has only written this movie as a credit. Director Tony Scott is best known for, of course, Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop 2, True Romance, and a bunch of other movies that IMDb has left out for known for for tony scott uh cole trickle is a rookie driver with a knack for speed he dreams of the indianapolis 500 and sees nascar as his ticket in recruited by chevy dealership owner tim dadland and paired with fresh out of retirement harry hoag he's got the car and the team he needs to compete cole has a rocky start but is soon locked in a rivalry with champion driver rowdy burns so you were asking in the intermission um, why this movie, like what, what is the point of this movie? So right. after Tom Cruise did the color of money with, um, I just forgot the guy's name. <laughs> uh, Newman uh, of Newman's own dressing. Uh, Paul Newman, Paul Newman. Thank you. God, that is terrible that I forgot that Paul no, Newman man. Uh, by some accounts, was more race car driver that moonlighted as a movie actor because Mm -hmm. he was famous in Can-Am. And after um, uh, Color of Money, Tom Cruise was convinced by Paul Newman to race in Can-Am for part of the season. In that first season of racing, Tom Cruise actually podiumed on one, one or two races. Hmm. But he got out of Can-Am at the insistence of his at-the-time girlfriend because it was too dangerous in her eyes. And Newman did acknowledge that he had some faults as a driver. Tom Cruise would not um, know when he had overcooked a turn. And he would always try to recover and correct it rather than spin out and try to regain the places after the fact. Mm Mm-hmm. So there was some mild danger with him in that, not like a danger, danger. That's just that's a fault of a race car driver going forward that should be corrected. Yeah. So um, it was from um, his actual love of real life motorsport and actual participation in it that he went to Robert Town, and he basically put this movie together.
0: Tom Cruise or Paul Newman?
1: Tom Cruise. Paul Newman's not okay, involved yeah. in all other than introducing Tom Cruise. Into the love of speed gotcha not the drug the actual like physical (laughs) sensation of it
0: yeah not that there weren't drugs on set but we'll get to that (laughs) wait what um i can't remember the producers it's bruckheimer and oh what's his nuts don simpson don simpson bit of a casual drug user oh and so i guess like this this was obviously Tom Cruise like hot off of Top Gun, right? And, and
1: so there was like a bit of that as well going into it. Just like let's make Top Gun, but like, but then Tom Cruise is like, but with cars.
0: Yeah, I I just checked out Roger Ebert's review of this movie just on a whim to see what some other critics had said, and uh-huh. uh, he kind of points out that it has this like formula that was shared with um, is it Cocktail? color of money um top gun where you kind of have these same archetypes coming in and out of this main character's life um older older more experienced women rival who becomes a friend like so and so
1: that's true
0: (laughs) so um i forget where i was going with that point
1: casual drug use don simpson
0: don simpson bit of a bit of a casual drug user and this movie I guess like almost ended him and Jerry Bruckheimer's relationship. Um
1: well that ends later anyway.
0: It does. Um so this movie I mean not to bury the lead is is not fantastic. You know it's it's not a great movie. I don't think so. And so if if you start looking at why, like Paramount blames um Simpson and Bruckheimer for overspending and partying out in Daytona hmm. and Simpson and Bruckheimer kind of blame Paramount for rushing the script and rushing the production.
1: I mean, yeah, you have Robert, you know, town guy literally known for one of the best, at least screenplays of all time, Chinatown. Like that's mm-hmm. one of the things in a lot of like film classes, like Chinatown has an amazing screenplay. Um, and it, he produces this movie.
0: Yeah. I think I tried to look at like maybe how much is Tom Cruise writing, how much is, um, well, I wonder Robert if, Town writing.
1: I mean, you got you definitely have because it's not like ideas from Tom Cruise or story idea by Tom Cruise, but maybe that didn't mm-hmm. exist at the time. It's written by both of them. Yeah. So, uh, it, maybe I wonder if it's like his punch up dialogue is enough. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I i couldn't find any definite answer of like here's, you know, the percentage that Cruz contributed and the percentage that Town contributed. They're yeah, both credited um, as story, like you said.
1: I just I think um
0: Or sorry, um going back to IMDB, Robert Town is credited with the screenplay. Mm, Cruz and Town are both credited as story.
1: Okay. Uh you know, talking about like, you know, development, he said she said blame game, like I feel like there's a lot of that whenever a car movie that is a passion project for the lead actor <laughs> is involved. Cuz famously mm-hmm. um Steve McQueen made Le Mans. And similar accusations were I think in Le Mans case at the very least rightfully thrown that literally they were just partying in Le Mans day in day out while <laughs> McQueen was like m- being really weird and making his movie. Like weird in the sense that he was pushing the envelope of how you shoot a car chase and how you do a car movie. Right. Um, but it was like similar things. Like they were constantly like, you're wasting money, you're wasting money, you're wasting money that you're just partying. And like they were just partying. And so maybe it's just when, when Hollywood goes to the track, it doesn't know how to be professional anymore.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, is interesting because I think the other two movies kind of may and maybe, you know, they figured it out in the 16 years in between, you know, the two closest films. But like the other ones, you know, got the job done, but they also don't take place on, well, not real life tracks, at least
1: one of them doesn't even take place in reality. <laughs> I, you know, I actually don't hate this film, I think. there are definite problems with it, but overall I enjoy it because it it comes from such a genuine place from Tom Cruise. Yeah. He cares about like making a racing story and he wanted to be like, well, I want to translate my love for actual racing to the film, to the screen so that everyone can experience a version of that. And I feel bad for him that, you know, clearly there's issues with it. And then there's just stuff that hasn't aged well, like that, you know, nice open day at NASCAR shot. And it's like the infield and it's a whole bunch of Confederate flags.
0: Oh, super, super Top Gun vibes from the intro of this movie. Yeah. Like that, the Hans Zimmer score Mm -hmm. over like slow shots and like the golden hour sunset. Like, yeah,
1: mm, I'm curious, was the editor the same on both Top Gun and this?
0: I mean, it honestly wouldn't surprise me. They have very similar feel. And uh, obviously, like we talked about, very similar, uh, you know, storylines and story
1: beats. Yeah. Um, You know, other things that haven't aged well are, you know, oh, a a female cop is clearly a uh, a stripper (laughs) slash hooker. Like it's implied that she slept with him and then. Like, the views on women, like, oh, know your place kind of thing. This is not a, a movie for strong women, even though Nicole Kidman's character is a career-focused, like, intelligent doctor. Like, yeah. there there's definitely talking down to her about a lot of stuff. Like, you wouldn't get it because you're a woman kind of things. Mm-hmm. Which, you More know, I mean, maybe that's I, actually Tom Cruise working through some of his feelings <laughs> with his ex-girlfriend at the time. Because I believe this is where Tom Cruise met Nicole Kidman and eventually started dating and married her.
0: Yeah, this was, I believe, the first of the three movies they were in together. Yeah, um,
1: Far and Away. And what's the third one?
0: Uh, Eyes Wide Shut. was.
1: Oh, yeah, that's when they were actually married. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, editors real quick uh the two editors who did top gun were two of the six editors on days of thunder
1: six editors geez (laughs) so this uh, is like a movie that was passed from hand to hand in a desperate attempt to create a narrative
0: yeah chris levinson and billy weber um were the two in common there
1: like i definitely think that there's probably a version that tom cruise and robert town uh worked on of the script that was more like you know, how racing is like a family business. Like you have the character played by John C. Riley, who's, you know, on this team and he doesn't really get any mention aside from one scenes where it's like, Oh yeah, his dad was the one that died. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's the reason that Robert Duvall's Harry Hogue had retired is because the, the car and like the superstition of drivers had killed that previous driver. That was, you know, one of the all time greats who I, I wonder if that was alluding to anyone at the time in NASCAR.
0: I don't it, believe it was explicitly like. It's interesting. I I totally agree with you that this is very much a project that was like filled with passion. Um, I think Tom Cruise was very genuinely interested in NASCAR and and Auto racing wanted in general, yeah, yeah. Um, was very interested in like kind of this big. Hollywood send-up of um of NASCAR and auto racing and um a lot of the stories in this movie is kind of this patchwork quilt of like actual NASCAR stories like Cole Trickle is a reference to NASCAR racer Dick Trickle mm-hmm. which fantastic name <laughs> needs to be acknowledged um Rowdy Burns is kind of patterned after Dale Earnhardt um, carrie yule's uh russ wheeler is patterned after rusty wallace um you know every a lot of these characters have like real life counterparts um like the ice cream scene like we can't pitch you right now we're eating ice cream actually happened in a nascar race (laughs) really yeah Mm. um so yeah it's, it's this very interesting like amalgamation of all these stories of nascar that i think like Tom Cruise looked at and was like, Hey, I need to like share this with other people.
1: I I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if like, again, going back to the maybe possible original ideas that it was more about the ins and outs of the races and like interactions. Like, cause that first, that first him in the car and like being really bad at it, like it just flips around all of a sudden because he has one little talk. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that what happened is they had shot so much footage of these races or just wasted time that the editors were just like, "Okay, make a coherent montage of races of him getting better.
0: Right. Like the first half hour of this movie is like kind of a extended montage that is almost an entire film plot within itself. Yeah, because it's it's kind of like Cole Trickle getting good at NASCAR
1: which I wouldn't you know, be surprised if that was more of the main theme. And then like that that scene after him and the doctor have clearly gotten together because who could resist Cole Trickle, you know, <laughs> reaching your hand and putting it on his crotch.
0: <laughs> Tom because- Cruise, at least in looks, reminds me of a lot of F1 driver Max Verstappen.
1: <laughs> they got big like young
0: tom cruise yeah it's a very like it's a, it's an odd face shape but
1: <laughs> he if max verstappen had antonio giovannazzi's hair
0: yes that is that is young tom cruise
1: in this movie
0: yes um you were saying uh after the two of them are drawn to each other
1: yeah that there's that we're working we're working on drafting like yeah, everyone knows what drafting is. It's NASCAR. That's what yeah. you do.
0: <laughs> it's, it's not. It's not secret sauce that like only one person knows. It's kind of like, yeah, that's how it works.
1: <laughs> I like uh, not to just keep continue harping on it. I like that scene at the very end when it's with their Daytona again, and it's it's like Cole trickles like chance to redeem himself from the crash mm-hmm. that was last year, um, and there's the, the scene where they're talking to all real life NASCAR drivers that were there at the Daytona 500. And like, you know, uh, just give us some thoughts on this character Cole trickle I wouldn't be surprised if they asked Dick trickle. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, and they're given their opinions. And then it very naturalistically cuts to carry Elwes as a Russ Wheeler, like given his opinion on it. And it's like, man, if they had done more of that, that's great.
0: Yeah i my probably favorite scene in this movie is also at at the final daytona race Mm -hmm. it's when um you know they realize that hey this car isn't going to compete it's got signs of failure there's metal in the oil pan. like we need to get an engine from your old um you know team owner and you know uh Cole goes in for the pits and like everyone jumps the wall, including the old team owner to like push him out back onto the track. Yeah. And like that is, I think some of the best parts of NASCAR because NASCAR is like very dangerous. It gets less dangerous all the time, but Mm -hmm. still like everyone, everyone in auto sports signs on to this risk when they get on the track. And so a lot of times drivers are very, We'll help each other out. And one of my favorite like NASCAR moments was in uh, 2018 at Watkins Glen when um, Chase Elliott got his first NASCAR Cup Series win and he ran out of gas like halfway around his oh, victory yeah, the, lap.
1: They, they pushed him. They pushed him to the finish few the, the other cars, right?
0: Yeah, Seven time world champion Jimmy Johnson drives his car up behind him and pushes him across the finish line. And, like, the crowd's going nuts, and it was super cool to, you know, have this, like, kind of elder statesman of NASCAR, not that Jimmy Johnson's super old, but whatever, <laughs> you know, to have the, the one of the most experienced drivers in the entire field, like push this this new guy getting his first win like across the line very much like you know the cars movie or something yeah i mean
1: there's a lot of that going on that happens in motorsport and happens more often than it doesn't you know the media and movies like this try to portray it like oh racers hate each other like Mm -hmm. even racers that have a very strong rivalry on the track at the at the very most probably just don't think about their rival off the track if they do not like them They don't interact with each other. It's not like this, that Russ Wheeler Coltrickle trickle thing where this guy is like actively sandbagging him and hates him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there has to be a lot of respect out there. Like you don't, you don't kind of make it. I, I feel at least you don't make it in motorsport without like accepting that everyone's putting their life on the line. You just don't, there's some okay. things you don't do to other people on track.
1: Like the fact, like, and I think that's what they're trying to do is like the, the Russ Wheeler character is very much uh, like, this is not what the the future should be of NASCAR just because he's clean cut and looks good. Yeah. You know, like at least Coltrickle respects the other drivers.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I and want even to go out there and hit the <laughs> price car. <laughs> uh, that's, that's my favorite, my favorite lines from this movie. Yeah, there's uh, there's
1: uh, the, I think the, the overall problem with this is there's moments of brilliance and moments of true like passion that are stuck in an otherwise like dumb movie. Yeah. So like uh, I, I, I do like uh, Cole Trickle and Rowdy Burns becoming friends and mm-hmm. Rowdy being like, I want you to race my car. You're the only person I want to race my car in that race because I'm going Mm -hmm. under the knife. Right. Like I'm, I feel like stuff like that has happened.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know enough NASCAR history to say for sure, but I'm, I'm positive something along those lines.
1: And then, you know, like that they're right. I I like the parts, not the rest of the scene where they're in the hospital and they're being wheeled out together (laughs) and they're they're, They start racing their wheelchairs (laughs) like that that's amusing and i i could i could probably see two drivers doing that right but then getting into the rental cars and having like a demolition derby race against each other (laughs) that was just dumb
0: i uh, hang on
1: are are you thinking that actually happened rental car racing i
0: i think it did
1: and it wouldn't surprise me but like (laughs)
0: Okay, so it looks like that rivalry and some of the exchanges made in the meeting itself were based on that rivalry, but the rental car destruction derby maybe didn't happen. Yeah. So you're, you're spot on to believe it's maybe on the edge of reality.
1: Most drivers of race cars, like even in Formula One, they actually don't drive like crazy, ridiculous cars in real life. They They drive a lot of practical cars like... Sebastian Vettel drives a van
0: <laughs> yeah, because he's we, got a
1: family. <laughs>
0: he's He is a dad to the core. At, um, uh,
1: but like most, a lot of them end up not driving because, yes, I'm a good driver. Other people are terrible.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, like old NASCAR, similar to like old F1 was really like. A boys club, and you had these like big personalities because you had to get like some people who were re- willing to risk it all, like every weekend yeah. for entertainment. Especially, you
1: know, the 90s is the last of that, I feel. I mean, because you know, 94 and with Ayrton Senna, and then not that long after Dale Earnhardt, yeah. or excuse me, uh, Patty. Mm-hmm. Is that the, the one I'm thinking the of? Winniest.
0: Petty? Petty uh appeared in this movie. He's he I think his career was a little older though.
1: No, I'm pretty sure Richard Petty died in a car accident in the 90s.
0: Uh he's still alive.
1: Then who am I thinking? Is it Dale Earnhardt Sr.?
0: He died in 2002, I believe. What race? At the Daytona 500?
1: My- okay, so it is Dale Earnhardt. Like Ayrton Senna in 94 really changes Formula 1 and some lesser uh, lesser sports, but like Dale Earnhardt dying it like solidifies like it, we're not going to have it happen really again for the most part, but you know, yeah. other, other deaths have occurred, obviously. It's just so much rarer.
0: That was where the uh, the Hans device, the head and neck system, really got popularized was after Dale Earnhardt's uh, yes. death. It, it had in-
1: been mandatory and developed in Formula One, but a lesser series hadn't used it. And then after Dale Earnhardt famously was like, I, I'm not gonna use it. It restricts my view. Then <laughs> he dies in a car accident that would have been prevented by a Hans style device. NASCAR uh mandates you have to wear it.
0: Yeah. Um oh a little aside, my uh my aunt deals with um traumatic brain injury not um as like a neurosurgeon or anything, but is in that sphere and you know, hates watching auto racing. And so like when Nicole Kidman's character gets on a motorcycle without a helmet, <laughs> I'm just like, all right, that's, that's right out. <laughs> you know, I don't buy that for a second. I
1: think that motorcycle stuff is more due to Tom Cruise's love of motorcycles.
0: Mm-hmm, definitely.
1: I mean, honestly, Tom Cruise loves anything that goes fast. Like, yeah, I, I, I uh, all other facets of the man aside, and good and bad the guy likes driving fast and he's actually good at it um mm-hmm. there's a video i linked to aaron that hopefully he'll link in the in the notes of tom will. cruise test driving a, a red bull f1 car and not failing and doing pretty well
0: mhm yeah he's he, and like that takes an amazing amount of talent like f1 cars are no joke like
1: and he's on, and he's 50
0: yeah Um, so obviously he's got a lot of passion and like we said it really comes through in this movie but i think like a lot of this movie is just this patchwork of like oh i want to tell this story and i want to tell this story and and so like as you kind of go through this movie you get a bunch of different like villains Mm -hmm. and uh, the movie can't really decide like who it wants to focus on like okay is the villain you know uh, rowdy burns or is it russ wheeler or is it the team owner tim Daland who like you know splits the team and hires two drivers or is it like as we kind of talked about you know man versus himself i think it-
1: that that becomes the overall narrative of the film is like you know russ wheeler is like a symptom that not the cause of like things going on like, mm-hmm. I'm sure there was another edit where Russ Wheeler is a villain, like, through and through, not just villainous in his actions. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it's strange. Um, and I think that has to do with the fact that there was six editors. Uh, but I agree <laughs> with you that it's hard to find a narrative through line with Days of Thunder.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I think it's kind of like that um maybe six underground kind of thing where it's like it tries to straddle this line between like action and and like real substance and maybe both kind of fall short i mean the action like six underground is shot really well and the stunts are amazing and
1: yeah shout out to this movie for doing practical you know Mm -hmm. obviously like they could have used green screen stuff at the time or you know like lesser methods but like you know they're racing real cars around oval rings in certain points that they're filming.
0: Yeah, like that. so I I watched a behind the scenes movie and like they produced two cars that eventually like um were fitted up to NASCAR standards and what they did for some of the Daytona stuff was two weeks after the actual Daytona 500 they took these movie cars out um, the two of them it was it would be Russ Wheeler's car and and Cole Trickle driving. Rowdy Burns' car. Uh They had cameras in them. They drove them out there with a full field and full, like, stadium full of people and they were racing against actual NASCAR cars that, like, would go on to compete in the rest of the season. So they kind of had to tell the stunt drivers, like, hey, if you get your movie cars, like, kind of into it with a NASCAR car, like, back off because that guy, you know, is competing for millions of dollars at the end of the season. If we wreck his car, we're going to be I believe the phrase was run out of town on a rail.
1: Interesting. Uh, The last time I know that that happened was actually in Talladega Nights. They they actually went on the tracks at Talladega.
0: Yeah, maybe John C. Riley was like, hey, I've seen what works. We need to do this, you know, with real cars. Um, I do like that they showed a lot of the tracks. Like, I like seeing, um, what's the short track, Uh, Dover? Uh Uh-huh. Uh, you know Arizona. He would know the tracks or... more than me. Yeah. So like they they went to a bunch of different tracks and shot at least you know some shots there and you can tell. I mean I mean D- D- Daytona's really spectacular. It's an awesome race course. I've I... actually
1: been by Daytona in Daytona Florida, so yeah the the high bank there man is is something to be seen.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um if you're unfamiliar with it the the banks at Daytona are like 3 stories tall like it is a gigantic uh, racetrack and that's how you know nascar cars can maintain you know 200 plus miles an hour yeah
1: my my dad actually saw uh daytona back in the day the daytona 500 with uh kale yarborough racing that year who won that season i think that's 71 yeah which you know Uh,
0: i I say yeah i don't know but i'll take your word for
1: uh correct us if uh we're wrong at match cut on twitter
0: yeah And, uh, if you know, quick shout out, if you want to watch the actual Daytona 500 this year, uh, this episode will be out before it It happens on, uh, Sunday, February 16th. If, uh, if this should inspire you to do so, yeah, 2020. So they, uh, start the NASCAR season and the NASCAR season at Daytona, but the Daytona 500 is the first race of the season.
1: Uh, but getting back onto the subject at hand with days of thunder, I think, there is good ideas that are buried under too many cooks in spoil the broth. I think mm-hmm. um, from either from the production crew being partying it out to Paramount interfering and rushing production to having six freaking editors. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know it's it's a combination of mistakes that unfortunately lead to something that clearly had a lot of passion from Tom Cruise being marred with a subpar execution.
0: Yeah. And like I said, the stated goal of this movie was kind of to, you know, to be a send up to NASCAR to like, you know, bring it out of this like uh, conception or misconception that, you know, NASCAR is just a bunch of hick rednecks out in the deep South. Like,
1: and it still is finding that perception as well, yeah. which is a, I mean, uh, it's part of a problem of the kind of the drivers that end up in NASCAR, and it still has a representation issue in terms of you know I think there's maybe been one or two black drivers.
0: Uh, there's one active black driver, uh, right, but, Bubba Wallace,
1: but not many.
0: Yeah, um, and that's- and like also in this like in this movie, they're trying to break that stereotype and then like you said the opening shot is a bunch of like rvs and confederate flags and like you know harry hodge is building this car in a barn you know fueled by moonshine like right. that's
1: like that's <laughs> like, not come even on guys. what nascar looks like it looked like at the time mm-hmm. and definitely not today today it's probably closer to formula one or like dmt or not dmt uh yeah dutch <laughs> touring uh DTM. DTM. Sorry.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, it's closer to uh, Dutch touring cars. Than-
0: Jamie, pull that shit up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's very possible. <laughs> I have heard that. Anyway, um, enough enough broken yeah. memes.
0: Uh- <laughs> I like. I've I've browsed the NASCAR subreddit, and you know, teams will post photos of like, "Hey, here are new cars," and it's always in very clean. Garages, because you know you're dealing I mean, with a look you know, five hundred thousand dollar car.
1: Haas Racing and Motorsport with Gene Haas, who's in Formula One. He has the largest wind tunnel in the in the for automotive that can do one to one. That he's actually not allowed to use for Formula One because they only allow sixty <laughs> percent mock ups.
0: Yeah. Oh, um speaking of Haas, uh Paul Newman started Newman Haas Racing that raced in the car series. So. There's yeah, your connection it, there.
1: that raced that, and that was also the team he raced for in uh, Le Mans when Paul Newman came in second in Le Mans. Yeah. And he would have come in so, first, but two of his cylinders in his portion on 11 failed him. Yikes. So he was running on six rather than eight.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, like, Days of Thunder, it's an okay movie. Had big ambitions, maybe didn't follow through on all of them, and here we are. Uh, nascar's still great i would encourage everyone to check out a race maybe on tv and uh it's a very also a very affordable auto sport to go see in person yeah so
1: unlike formula one (laughs) right (laughs) what were your tickets for austin and and mexico
0: uh austin i only got the one day pass um which was uh, i think about 160 bucks yeah Um, I checked out of curiosity for the Daytona 500 and uh, you can get passes, I think, for like 120 right now Um, for the Mexico GP for Formula One. The tickets were for three days were six hundred dollars. And I think if you want to go see like the Daytona Coca-Cola 400 or whatever the last season before or last race before playoffs is in NASCAR, you can get three day tickets for like 80 bucks.
1: So, yeah, uh, I I think it's it's crazy. Anyway, after this, we'll be back with the the last of these three films. Speed Ross. Yar. (laughs) Speed Racer is a 2008 movie written, directed by Lana and Lily Wachowski, who were brothers at the time, Uh, starring Emile Hirsch, Christina Ricci, John Goodman, Matthew Fox, and Korean singer-songwriter Rain. Remember when Rain was a thing and he was trying to be a Western thing? The Wachowski sisters are best known for writing and directing the Matrix series, Cloud Atlas, Jupiter Ascending, and the writing on V for Vendetta. So the racer family knows one thing, racing. It's in the name. And the middle child, Speed, just wants to go fast like his late brother Rex. After a huge win at Thunderhead, Speed garners the attention of Royalton Industries, a major sponsor who wants to bring him on as one of the drivers. After Speed eventually turns down the Royalton offer, he gets a harsh look at what racing has become, a way to manipulate the corporate business world. Heartbroken and disparaging, Speed wants to restore racing to what he knows it could be. With the help of Inspector Detector and the mysterious Racer X, he'll have one last chance at the final race, the Grand Prix.
0: Oh, I will reveal my bias right away. I love this movie. (laughs) Oh, Mm. so much.
1: I don't love this movie (laughs) at all and the more that i've been made to watch this movie the more the more i hate it
0: <laughs> i was uh i was actually kind of nervous coming back to it cuz it's like i i remember enjoying this thing in the past when we definitely didn't watch it for a mysterious lost episode for this podcast specifically
1: a lost episode (laughs) no
0: so i was i was a little worried of like you know how like you come back to a movie you enjoyed as a kid like for me it was uh for me it was coming back to power rangers when it first showed up on netflix Mm. and like i watched and like this is terrible (laughs) Mm. like yeah yeah critically like this is bad but um I, I haven't watched this movie in, yeah, over a year since we did that.
1: Not watch it for <laughs> not an episode.
0: That that mysterious episode we'll never talk about. But, I mean, just even going in the beginning of this movie, I'm just like, yes, I'm back. You know, like, so super excited for this movie. Um, I'll have some time to gush about it if you want to talk about continue please <laughs> so um i th- love the visual effects in this movie i love the like technicolor tie-dye like vibe of it yeah, yeah, yeah. um i know that like especially some of the scenes early on in the beginning um thinking specifically of when rex picks speed up from school like the background's
1: I can close my eyes and the colors are still burned onto my retina. The backgrounds
0: don't look great, but I think a lot of this other stuff is really fun. Um, It's a movie that kind of trades in the feeling of racing rather than, you know, the mechanics of it, obviously.
1: Oh, you don't say (laughs) it's almost like they didn't do anything in practicality.
0: Um, I I think it, it captures that feeling for me of like, you know, I mean, I guess for us, more in video games but when you like when you nail a corner or you know get a a super hot lap in a around a course and it's like you feel you get that feeling like you and the car were kind of melded as one it's a lot of that in this movie it's a lot of trying to convey that feeling rather than what it what car racing is actually about you know saying something like Tokyo drift or, or days of thunder where they're trying to explain the mechanics of the car. And it's, it's that kind of childlike wonder that I like, like the cards move on the track more like what you would do with a hot wheels car, like over your couch where it's kind of.
1: Yeah. You call this movie, hot wheels, acceleracers (laughs) and no one's angry, but me, I'm angry because This could have been a good movie, and you don't even have to change a lot. You don't even have to change most of anything, actually. You only have to change the stupid visuals. (laughs) Uh, The story is fine. The characters are great. The interactions are good. You got Academy Award winners Susan Sarandon and John Goodman in this movie.
0: Come on! (laughs) We, We do not deserve Susan Sarandon and John Goodman in this movie. Like...
1: This movie and and nominee Christina Ricci, like everyone is great, and except for Sprydel and Chim Chim, they are the worst. They are cancer, and they need
0: to be cut out. The one thing I cannot apologize for in this movie, as much as I am a speed racer apologist, is Sprydel and Chim Chim. Get them out. I hate them. It's terrible
1: they ruin an emotional moment at the end of the film that is the culmination of a relationship I actually care about. It's so bad. Speed and Trixie kissing at the Grand Prix after he wins. Because, spoiler, the good guy wins.
0: <laughs> but they don't um, only ruin that. Every like every impactful scene, like Royalton dressing down Speed in his office, Sprital and Chim-Chim are in the middle of that.
1: That's a great <laughs> diatribe where it's like, "Oh shit, they're going real yeah. with it." But no, here's Spriddle and Shimshim that are hopped up on sugar ruining everything. Let's cut away from this emotional moment between Speed and the sponsor to find out what Spriddle and Shimshim are doing. Spoiler, it's fucking awful. That's what
0: <laughs> I think. It is. It is bad. It's real bad and like um
1: and they didn't have to do that. I
0: I At really all. wish I found an article that was like, hey, here's why they messed up this otherwise fantastic movie. I have to assume it was with the purpose of like you can make
1: maintaining the integrity of the original <laughs> anime, which it, it doesn't have a lot of integrity and it was bad then. It just because you ha- there's a bad thing, they would be like, "Oh, it's a callback to a bad thing." Doesn't mean you should do it. <laughs> like Remember that time when we were all doing crack cocaine?
0: What if we had some crack cocaine scenes in here? Um, I yeah, I don't know if it was like okay, we ha- you can tell your, you know, anti-capitalist racing story, but you know we need to put kids butts in seats. So put in put in this well, kid and this monkey, and I know like they're part of the original series. And I like a lot of the other ways that they've honored that original series, but this could have been left out and you would, the movie would be markedly better for it.
1: See the, okay. My problem with this is you could have actually had just change. My, my problem is the technicolor acid trip visuals do not engage me whatsoever. They make me check out because I don't care about anything. There are no stakes because you're not actually doing it. Not to say that you have to always do something to engage it, but the way their art direction was chosen, I couldn't care mm-hmm. less. And it feels like this was a racing movie made by people that don't like racing and don't know how to make it interesting other than not make it racing. Yeah, I,
0: I'll agree with you there that that the racing doesn't have whole lot of stakes especially because you have the the quick save system which is that like sparkly bubble that appears around everyone like no one's ever really gonna die so it's it's tough i i get that but i don't it's to me the movie is more than just a story about like racing it's about it's about
1: But if I can't engage in the one thing, and that's what the visuals are, I think it has inherently failed. Mm -hmm. I'm not against adaptations that have a stylistic uh, bent to them or anything like that. But take a look at what we were talking about in the beginning um, with the Oscar films, with uh, Ford versus Ferrari. That's a racing movie. That is a movie about racing that is accomplishing emotional beats uh, similar to what I feel Speed Racer wanted to hit. And they're doing it in a biopic. Mm-hmm. And I cared infinitely more about a story I already knew the end of. I know I knew going in what happened to Ken Miles and that tragedy there. And the fact that, of what happened to his legacy and him being denied his rightful place in it. Yeah. And I still cared more about what was going on there than I did for most of the Racer family or anyone else. The one part I really enjoyed that really... Like is emotional and like makes sense is when Speed is racing the ghost of his brother who holds the track record at Thunderhead.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like that was a good use of the technology. Like he's he's in his lines and all that, and, and the final straight he's pulling ahead of him, and just as he's about to you know beat him, he lets off the gas and the ghost goes forward. Mm-hmm. Um, there is actually a real story of a kid who lost his father, and he. Uh, after a few years, brushed off his Xbox and put in. I think it was Colin McRae's rally. Yeah, and he was on a track, and all of a sudden, his father's ghost shows up. And he, his father was always better than him when they played this as Kit when when he was a uh, younger. And eventually, he kept practicing and practicing and practicing, and he was about to beat his father's ghost. And he did the same thing. He pulled off the throttle.
0: Yeah, it's. I, I always question the truthiness of that like picture when it gets posted every so often, just cause it is also exactly the opening to speed racer.
1: Well, but, it, it depends on how far back that story went to, I think that yeah. I heard that story before I heard before speed racer came
0: out. Yeah. I mean, there's, over. there are other stories, similar to that like in video games specifically like you know people who go back i think there was a mother who played um was it harvest moon or animal crossing one of the two and,
1: and their child was still there or something or well,
0: the children went back to visit their mother's town and like their mother i guess had written notes in the mailbox like talking about some of the kids and it's, it's a it's like regardless of whether it's true or not like i really think that 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 moment is very powerful and yeah. I will admit that I cry at several points in this movie. I I don't know why, but this movie like really has a direct line to my feelings and my emotions and all I, I cry during that part. I I cry at um uh the scene where Rex dies, where um Susan Sarandon is holding the young speed like Mm -hmm. that shot in the darkened room and everything. And and I, I cry at the end and
1: yeah, like I'm not like discounting that those emotions, but this film, in my opinion would have been better served with a stylized palette and actually doing the car racing for real and not having full CGI sets because I don't care about any of it. Yeah. And and my emotions shouldn't,
0: it's, like, my emotions shouldn't dictate your feelings on the movie. Like, those are your feelings, and I, I can only tell you mine, but it, it hits me way differently, I think, than, than a so lot of people. those,
1: those emotional moments, I, I recognize them, but I can't forgive the rest of the film because they have good emotional beats. Mm-hmm. I, if this was a flawed film in another way, like I feel Days of Thunder is, I would have, like, I could give it a pass... Yeah. but I can't because so much money went into making an ugly film <laughs> that is hard on the eyes.
0: Yeah. And uh, I mean, I don't think we'll ever agree on it. Cause we're just f- fundamentally opposed, but like the visuals aside from that opening at the, where Rex picks speed up from school. Like I really enjoy them. I, I enjoy this like fantastical wild, like, childlike wonder that all these courses have with like huge impossible corkscrews and and just spikes in the middle of class spikes in the middle of the track and like the big like um what's it called the zeotrope like zebra in the background did it for I me. Know. I I get that it's not like everyone's thing, but like those were the tracks that I drew on graph paper, like in fifth grade, where I was like, "Wouldn't this be, you know, sweet?" And
1: uh, can I ask you a question?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Did you get Hot Wheels expansion for Forza Horizon three?
0: I did. Um, <laughs> or no, I didn't. I got I got the Lego Island one though for uh for Forza Horizon four. Yeah, I. I would be tempted to go back and play that Hot Wheels one. I heard a so, lot of good things.
1: Yeah, like I'm not I'm not of the mind like there were people out there like you can have that that has its place. But my problem is if you just wanted to tell a fun story, why have all these really solid emotional beats and why do it like that? Um, the only scenes I really liked were the scenes that had practical sets. Mm -hmm. or could actually like enjoy that's like the racer household um that's the hotel (laughs) and that's the scenes with trixie and speed in the mark V. yeah other anything else is just like it's too much like it's just too much it's too much extra (laughs) it's too loud in color palette and garish and that's not to say that I don't like loud colors or that there's not a place in it. I like the 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 film adaptation with Warren Betty and Madonna of Dick Tracy. That uses mm-hmm. very similar loud colors because it's a comic book film that is retelling a comic strip, but it does it with sincerity. Yeah. It does it with a groundedness because you couldn't just make it like Sin City, where everything is on a green screen and there's no there's no you know, weight to anything. I tried watching the spirit and that kind of reminded me of this, where there's just like, things are just happening and I don't care.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I think that this, I think that for me, this movie also rings as very sincere and that's, you know, part of my enjoyment of it. I don't, I honestly don't know what they told Susan Sarandon and John Goodman to get them to buy into this movie. Like they did. Cause I know like, acting opposite like kids and chimpanzees against like green screens, like has to be a very trying thing. Yeah, like just you always hear Ian
1: McKellen on the set of the right. Hobbit.
0: You always hear about Ian McKellen. Yeah. And, and his struggles with that stuff. So I don't know what they did to sell him on this, but obviously it worked. And, uh, you know, I think they do have these very sincere, real, Performances where they're bought into these characters, and it's like my character's name is Mom Racer for some reason, but I'm gonna, you know, play the pants off of it.
1: Yeah, uh, as Pops Racer.
0: Hmm. Um. Yeah, and like I've like watching, um, Susan Sarandon, Mom Racer, at the Fuji race where she has this like very real concern for his well being because it's. Um, you know, obviously still dangerous. Like it brings me back to, um, if you watched uh drive to survive where Daniel Ricardo's mom is watching him race.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very see, tense you know, thing. You, maybe they would engage me more if they, you know, technicolor to everything in drive to survive and <laughs> oh, wait, that wouldn't engage me. Yeah. My problem is I can't care. I, I, I just can't because it is so obviously fake. That it's just like oh they're just acting there there are no real emotions. However, when it's two characters interacting with each other, that's where it lands home with me. But it's like oh worry about this CG this CGI asset hitting this other CGI asset. Don't care. Mm-hmm. No stakes.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's a real bummer that that's that that takes you out of it. Like I obviously respect your opinion, and I wish you could experience it on the you know, the same way that I do. I don't
1: hate it as much as I used to.
0: Yeah. Like doing that aesthetic. That's a risk. It paid off for me. It didn't for other people. For the majority of
1: people. Like (laughs) true. Clearly (laughs) they made the wrong call and this was poorly done. And like, I would have much rather had homages to the original show in the form of some of the gadgetry and whatnot, rather than, well, let's make it like colored like the old show. Mm -hmm. There's a reason that animation is animation and movies are movies. You should never try to do live-action versions of animations that don't inherently bring something that you can only get in live-action. Yeah. If you're going to adapt something, adapt it because you think you can tell it a different way, not because money.
0: I mean, I, I think that's what they were doing in this. I think they really wanted to tell kind of a dark Speed Racer story. But and,
1: it, it's not dark, though. The show is darker if you ever watch any of the things. He's well, going over that cliff. Ah! <laughs> you need to look like that there is, way. A,
0: <laughs> there is one very dark moment in this movie that maybe isn't so explicit, but... um some guy hands a letter bomb to like a six-year-old and but tells it, him to deliver it to his parents. But like, it's
1: not like dark. It's played like that's a cart. It's a cartoon world. It's ticking. So he does these things and gets over it. You know what I mean? hmm Like, and that's my issue with it. Like, yeah, I would have been much more invested and realized the stakes more if this was like a grounded to a degree historical set one if they had set this in like the 1960s and it was like a, a throwback to the actual time when there was road racing everywhere the Targas and the 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 florias and whatnot of Europe and that's what speed racer was an uh, an homage to like I would have I would have appreciated that even if it doesn't land elsewhere because they're trying it this is an homage to nothing other than story beats you could have put those emotional beats in another story and they would have worked because the actors involved in them are what they are. Mm -hmm. So like, again, I'm going to go back to the most recent racing movie that is getting critical acclaim, Ford vs. Ferrari. Mm
0: -hmm. Going
1: back to what I said, I knew that story already, but when you saw it, right? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. So, spoiler for those that haven't seen it, when Carol Shelby goes to Ken Miles and angrily says to him, They want you to do this. They want you to, you know, come across the line together. It's your call, though. And Ken does it and gets robbed of the triple crown of endurance racing. And Carol says, I should have never told you, I'm sorry. And the look on his face, late like at the end of the movie or towards the end of the movie, when Ken Miles dies in a car test with his son, he looks at his son like it's something that only can be conveyed in real life. You know that 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 absolute despair of I've just lost my friend, you've just lost your father, and I, it's my fault.
0: Yeah. It yes, it's a very powerful you know, seen in, in Ford versus Ferrari. But like for me in speed racer, like that, that scene is there for me when, when pops and speed um, are having that discussion when speed is, you know, like, Hey, I, I got to leave and, you know, pop him down and says like, Hey, I've already lost one kid to this. Like, I would never tell you, you don't have a home here because you do. Like I, I think, well, for me, that emotion is there. And, you know, I, I feel like that's kind of all we can say is like, hey, it hit this way for me. It didn't for, you know, you. And that's fine. Like, that's, you know, that's what art is. It's an individual experience. And what are you going to do?
1: <laughs> uh, not watch Speed Racer ever again. Thank you I'll for say, coming to my TED Talk.
0: <laughs> watch Speed Racer. Fast forward through the bridal and chim chim parts. The problem is um,
1: they're they're intercut with everything. So there just needs yeah. to be an edit that removes them.
0: I I will make that. I will fire up Vegas you right threatened now. You've written
1: that so many times.
0: <laughs> well, that episode never happened. So this is the only one that counts. Um, yeah, for me, like anime is such like a a thing that trades on these like amplified emotions. No one screams Tetsuo in the middle of the street like in that same way they do in Akira. It's, it's just, it's everything turned up to 11. And like, for me, like everything was turned up into 11 in this movie. And with like these fantastic performances. And I just, I love it in the same way that I love a lot of anime. And, and it, it gets, it gets to me <laughs> in a way that, that few other movies do not, not since Apollo 13. have I cried at the end, end of a movie, but that was when i was eight so cut me some slack there
1: i never want to watch this movie again
0: ever (laughs) well good news you don't have to thank god (laughs) let us uh take a quick break here we'll come back we'll talk about all three movies Hmm. so catch us on the other side All right, welcome back. Uh, we're going to discuss our feelings on all three movies.
1: The the question you have to ask yourself, you have to look in the side and, and deep down and really question, are you a fucking weeb?
0: How much <laughs> of am, a
1: fucking weeb are you?
0: I am an enormous weeb. I, I love Speed Racer, obviously, for the benefit of, you know, putting something forward in this podcast, this... I'll, let's talk about my second favorite um it's it's tokyo drift i mean Tokyo
1: drift is my favorite of these three i still enjoyed it re-watching it i enjoy the themes involved the the real um emotions portrayed the story it's telling like i i i empathize with that and like knowing what it's like to have to move halfway through you know your your high school education and being the outsider, not to the degree that I then became a renowned underground street racer, but you (laughs) know, we all have our failures in life.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed um, Tokyo drift because I think it's, it, it does meet a good middle ground between story and, and racing and, I think is a, is a good example of what a racing movie can be. Um, I think Speed Racer does everything a little better, even with its faults. I, I recognize that, that Speed Racer touches something within me that, I don't know, is, is it's a cheat code. I, I'll never hate that movie So fully. what you're
1: saying is Speed Racer reached inside of you and touched you in ways that you never thought possible.
0: Yes, I am saying exactly that. Where on the doll
1: did Speed Racer touch you?
0: <laughs> right here, right in my heart. Um, Days of Thunder, I think, has a lot of passion behind it. And, and uh, you know, maybe if it was made again you know you're remaking top gun the only logical thing is to then go on and remake days of thunder (laughs) get tom cruise back in a race car
1: days of thunder second strike
0: (laughs) days of thunder final lapse i don't know
1: Uh, oh no days of thunder the the storm is coming
0: (laughs) days of thunder rising tides no wait that's civ 6 Days of Thunder, Revengeance. <laughs> you know, give give Days of Thunder another whack, like
1: Days of Thunder Two, Days of Thunderer,
0: <laughs> even more thunder. Days of Thunder, Lightning McQueen.
1: <laughs> oh, Days of Thunder, lightning in a bottle. <laughs> it's
0: pretty good. Um. Yeah, I, I. Recognize the the heart and what the dream of what Days of Thunder could have been. I, the other two movies followed through, I think, much more than than that did. um It's you know it's tough to make a racing movie because I think racing is still a very niche sport. Um, I think
1: I think to make a good racing movie, you have to have a a, a good story behind it, mm-hmm. which Speed Racer definitely does, and Tokyo Drift does. But B, you actually have to care about racing, and I do not think the Wachowskis care about racing. They care about spectacle, but I don't think they're fans of actual driving or anything like that, and I think that's where the movie fails. Mm -hmm. It's like you have these characters talking about you got to feel the car, yada, 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 all that, and then they just show characters doing that, but I don't get a sense that it's real. It's like, no, yeah, that makes sense, because when... um, so again, comparing it not to a film in this comparison, but a similar scene in, uh, Ford versus Ferrari is when Ken miles is telling his son about the perfect lap that somewhere out there on a track is a way to go around it. That is, has no faults and most people never see it. Mm -hmm. And that's what he's searching for. Like that's how you, you, you convey it. And it's not like, Esoteric. It's not like, oh, you know, from the heart of a race or anything like that. It's just like, no, it's simple. Like with the right kind of eyes, you can look at something and see it exist. And I don't think the Wachowskis had the right kind of eyes to see it the way they thought to convey, you know, the frenetic high pace, high speed action in Speed Racer was with colors that you would see in speed racer rather than what those colors were covering or in trying to make up for. And they don't care about racing.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I see where you're coming from. Definitely. Um, I think that those emotions are kind of present in um, both um, speed racer and Tokyo Drift. Like Tokyo Drift has this scene, like the drift ballet in the mountains, where you got the mm-hmm. six cars all, you know. Then and Nila and uh, Sean are talking about, you know, when every everything kind of just falls away when you know you get into that groove. Um, yeah. speed racer, um, like Mom racer kind of tells Speed like, hey, you know, when you're out there, like that's not just racing like that's art um i think those are there and you know if if it doesn't land it doesn't land and i i recognize the speed racer has faults that you know will keep it from reaching everyone and i recognize i'm in a small but proud minority of misguided people I just... <laughs>
1: I just can't in good conscience recommend watching a speed racer to anyone because the it's it's not going to land with hardly anyone. I so I mean, my pick I mean so my pick for best of the lot is definitely Tokyo Drift because I enjoy watching that film still. I think you could show that to someone or it could be on and someone else could walk in and be like, "Oh, hey, what's this?" It's like, "Oh, it's a Fast and the Furious film actually." I'm like, "What?" mm mm-hmm. Mhm. So,
0: yeah, speed.
1: I mean, they're actually. They're, this one's about car racing. What? <laughs> they're not. They're not jumping a car into a plane that's taking off on the world's longest runway.
0: <laughs> they're not fighting domestic terrorism with V8s and. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> speed racer. You, you I think mean is... there's
1: not black Superman.
0: <laughs> speed racer, I think, is the kind of movie where you could walk in and kind of know right away whether you're going to be down for it or not. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate that bridal and chim chim could affect that decision in a in a the briefest moment but i think the the other the rest of the movie is is worth watching um yeah speed racer for me is it's not about like you know capturing the most realistic racing obviously they're not they're not doing it in the same way that tokyo drift did it with you know real cars doing real sick drifts up uh but the parking garage ramps uh, and i
1: mean my criticism isn't that they have to do real it's that like with what i was saying is they just don't care about racing to a point to even try to convey it in a sense that would be visually appealing to anyone
0: yeah and i don't i don't mean like the filming technique itself but the fact that they're not capturing real cars moving in real space in the way I that... Think
1: that that matters if you're doing a car movie it matters that the cars are real or treated real cars is a better representation of racing and and the heart of racing than speed racer
0: Hmm. cars is a good movie i'll give you that
1: yeah cars is a good movie <laughs> and it's because they cared pixar cared about getting as much right as possible they went to porsche to, to have Porsche's help with recording engine sounds so that the engines were correct. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that the Wachowskis literally like went to their sound editor and just like, oh, whatever sounds biggest and loudest. Yeah. It didn't matter.
0: I feel like looking for realism in Speed Racer is missing the point. Like, I don't.
1: My point being is you don't have to be realistic to do a good film
0: but I mean, you just said that cars was aiming to be as as realistic and had all these touches to make it realistic. And that was what you enjoyed out of it.
1: That's not, that's what helps me enjoy it, but I care more because the story is, is just more engaging and I'm able to be in it better than I am in speed racer Whereas speed racer, every other scene it's taking me out of any emotional investment I have with constant cuts to to CG constant cuts to um, very obvious 3d sets. It's there and it lacks any stakes that I can believe from the characters or from the script. Yeah. I think, I think speed racer would have been better as a full CG movie.
0: Yeah. I, as much as I would love to see days of thunder get a remake, I would love also to see (laughs) speed racer get a remake and not just because it's my favorite, but because with what 3D technology has become, and what rendering has become, and what green screen tech has become, and all this stuff, plus an acceptance of the dark and gritty reboot, even though I think it's kind of on its way out, like I think some of- I don't
1: okay, you keep saying dark and gritty just because like I don't think it's a dark and gritty reboot. I think it is taking themes that already existed in the show and just putting real people to act them that's all they're doing
0: right and i i I just pick dark and gritty as kind of like that hollywood catchphrase i don't it's obviously not super tonally dark but i think that that would then give them a reason to take out some of the parts that don't work as well like the Spridal and chim chim parts or you know needing you know maybe again i really enjoy it but if in a remake you know a consideration could be made like hey do we want to include these giant loop-de-loop tracks or you know hey maybe we tone down the colors a little bit you know who should be
1: given the the task of remaking or re-adapting Speed Racer mm. the people that did uh, po- de- uh, Detective Pikachu yeah because that like that world felt real I, I believe that these people lived with Pokemon <laughs> Yeah. And like, you know, I was never at once taken out like, oh, there's a Pokemon there. That's not believable. Like what they did with Detective Pikachu is probably closer to what the Wachowskis could have done with a speed racer.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I
1: think that would have been a goal to hit.
0: And yeah, I I think the fact that it came out in 2008 and, you know, that the Wachowskis especially, you know, always kind of looked to maybe push that edge a little bit with 3d effects and visuals. Like obviously the, the matrix was monumental in what it did for filmmaking.
1: But I I think the, the thing to take away though is yeah, they, they made great strides, but certain things just do not hold up, especially about the sequels in the matrix because of their over-reliance on CG that just isn't there to last compared to the first film, which has, less CG elements or full CG, less full CG elements and holds up the best of the three for multitudes of other metrics as well.
0: Yeah. And again, in my acknowledgement of the flaws of speed racer of which there are, I, I, there I'm are many, sorry, but
1: I, I'm not trying to like beat in like that. You shouldn't like this. It's just, I'm trying to make in a relatable terms why I don't see the same way.
0: Right. And, you know i'm i'm not you know you won't change my mind like it's not going to happen I but
1: i hope you don't think i'm trying
0: no no not at all um yeah i think that in some some of the flaws of speed Racer are kind of this overreach of technology where it's like yeah you could do it but should you like obviously in the end in total it works for me as i keep banging on but you know, there was there was a bit of an overstep, I think, in in maybe what should have been done in in CGI versus practical and and that sort of stuff. Tokyo Drift, you know, there's a couple of shots in there that are kind of CGI or like, um,
1: oh, the the one where he's doing that monster drift on the off ramp, it's like that's clearly fake.
0: Yeah, um, or
1: like the composite shot of him drifting through the, the crowd in the intersection, like. Clearly, they drifted cars through an intersection, right? And they're compositing it, and it just—it it is what it is. Yeah,
0: the one that always sticks out to me on rewatching is um, when they're doing the drift ballet in the mountains, and they kind of zoom yeah. out and up into a helicopter it's shot.
1: Like, yeah, that—that that is weird, and it's—it's it's like, huh?
0: <laughs> yeah. Or Days of Thunder, you know, for all of its flaws, <laughs> tons of real
1: Real-ass cars on real-ass tracks. <laughs> yeah,
0: that cost I apparently mean. a fortune. I, in <laughs> sure. kind of that behind-the-scenes video, they kind of go over, like, they had, I think, 28 or 22 or 28 cameras at Daytona to capture all that action. They actually set, like, a world record. Panavision like, came out and gave them an award for, like, most cameras ever on a movie set.
1: <laughs> For one set. Yeah.
0: You know, the set being the Daytona International Speedway, but you know.
1: I'm sure now that has been passed numerous times <laughs> over with the way they shoot 3D stuff. Yeah.
0: And and a remake of Days of Thunder would be fascinating because, you know, if if something like um Logan Lucky is any indication, like NASCAR drivers will just show up in movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh you
1: know man that if you want to watch Days of Thunder watch Logan Lucky instead not because it's a better racing movie it's just fun
0: yeah i mean Talladega Nights is also like super fun you know and i in, would say
1: Talladega Nights is the better racing movie <laughs> because what they're doing is they're making fun of Days of Thunder mm-hmm. but also it's a little mean spirited as well yeah. whereas there's like a, a genuine enjoyment of the 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 craft in Days of Thunder whereas Taladega Nights is like it's a meme joke that the these idiots that we went and filmed on these tracks aren't in on.
0: Yeah, and it's it's very much of that kind of era of comedy that um, it was also came out in two thousand six, like uh, like Tokyo Drift. Um, that era of comedy where it's like, yeah, we're gonna, you know, someone's gonna be the butt of these jokes, you know someone's gonna
1: well, like uh just to, to go on days of thunder and like or not days of thunder on talladega nights the scene where ricky bobby's like insisting he's on fire and people's like no you're not on fire it's like oh it's funny because he's so he's so dumb and uneducated that he doesn't know he's not on fire it's like no race fuel fires burn clear yeah like unless like something a secondary thing ignited like i have seen footage of from an Indianapolis or a Daytona open wheel race where racers were literally on fire and they couldn't see it and had to yell at their pit crews to put them out.
0: Yeah. I believe it's, so it's like it's methanol that um yeah. burns clear. It's using a lot of race fuels. And it it can be, it's a scary thing.
1: So like the the joke that like, Oh, he he's, he's like insisting he's not on fire. It's like, that's not really funny to me, because if you know about racing, that is a, a real concern, especially after a crash as bad as his character got into.
0: Yeah. Some good some good stabs at racing movies. There are better ones, there are worse ones. Um
1: go so I think, at least from me, my recommendation is go to go see Ford vs. Ferrari. <laughs> uh
0: I would recommend Hey, check out the trailer for Speed Racer. See if it's th- something you think you could vibe with and, you know, check it out. Um, but
1: in, in actuality, I would recommend of these three films, Tokyo Drift.
0: Yeah. For me, Speed Racer, Tokyo Drift, It's it also gets a solid recommendation from me. Um, Days of Thunder, temper your expectations. <laughs>
1: if you want to see Top Gun, but don't enjoy planes, watch days of. Stuff.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, you can feel free to let us know, uh, how wrong I am in my undying love for speed racer on, uh, on Twitter at match cutter, email us at match cut pot at gmail.com. Um, so that's another episode in the can. Uh, we got a lot of fun stuff coming up, I think in season two that, uh, you're really going to enjoy our next movie. um, will be Heat versus Chinatown. Speaking of Chinatown and uh Robert Town, we're gonna we're gonna take a look at it.
1: Yeah. So join us then.
0: So for the Match Cup podcast, I've been Aaron.
1: And I have been Matt.
0: We will see you next time. Bye bye. Bye bye.